The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. Some of the greatest threats to our constitution are right here in America. That has to be a red line. We can't have tens of billions of dollars every election cycle floating around and not know where it came from. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. This story is as old as time, right? It's about corporate malfeasance. It's a surprise when someone leaves a major party because we know that typically independent candidates have a hard time winning. My job is to convince my colleagues that crypto is a garden of snakes. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. 2022, you were a doozy ending with the stock market's worst day since 2008, the financial crisis. We are going to look back on the year that was the ups and the downs. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics. I'm Madison Mills in today for Joe Matthew. We got a big show ahead for you. Today, we're going to bring you a primer on what you can expect as we head toward that 2024 presidential election. We're going to unpack the ramifications of former President Trump's newly released tax returns. And we've got a great conversation with Representative Don Beyer. He's the chair of the Joint Economic Committee on the unrelenting inflation we've got going on and what Congress is going to do to avoid the big R word as we head into the new year. So how does all of this play into congressional priorities? Let's talk with one of my favorite people to talk to at Bloomberg. She always makes me smarter. We've got Wendy Benjaminson, our deputy managing editor out of Washington. Wendy, thanks so much for being here late on the eve of New Year's Eve to talk with us. I'm really excited to chat. I want to start by looking back for a second. Ahead of the midterms, you and I talked a lot. We thought maybe abortion was going to move the needle for voters. Then we thought it was inflation. Then we didn't see the, the red wave. What happened there? Well, I think abortion did move the needle a little bit, as we so smartly predicted. Um, and But I also think it, this was the Republicans' election to lose. And they nominated, uh, a, the Republican primary voters nominated a large number of Trump supporters who, you know, either had fringe ideas or, you know, tried to be Trump but couldn't quite be Trump or had other baggage that they were carrying around or were election deniers. And um, the voters just said they'd had enough of the fringe candidates. And in a place where a moderate Republican had been defeated in the primary, a Democrat won. Okay, so I asked Representative uh, Byer this, and we're going to hear that conversation later on. But is this a sign that we are moving away from sort of the Trumpification of the GOP and towards a little bit more consensus in Congress? Well, I don't know about that. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I've been saying Trump is finished since 2015, so that shows you what a good prognosticator I am. Fair enough. Um, I um I I do not think there's going to be consensus in Congress in the next couple of years. I think Republicans have won a very narrow House majority with a Democratic Senate, a Democratic White House. And I think we're going to see very little governing because of that partisan breakdown. And instead, a lot of positioning, a lot of chest thumping, a lot of getting ready for 2024 instead. I do think voters are saying they are 
They are getting a little weary of Trump and Trump world. And, um, you know, but, but what comes instead of that from the Republican Party is, is still to be seen. Right. So let's talk about that. Where do we stand on the characters at play heading into 2024? Who are the main names we're going to be talking about and who are you looking at specifically? Well, Donald Trump has announced he is running for a, another term in the White House. Um, so he is he's out there and starting to run. Um, right behind him and ahead of him in some polls is Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who, um, you know, is very conservative, is a very um, culture warrior sort of politician, very conservative, but half, literally half of Joe Biden's age, maybe not quite that, but almost half of Joe Biden's age, um, and, you know, is is Trump with an Ivy League education in the mm-hmm. sense that, you know, he's and he's worked the levers of government as an as a state executive. So there's a lot of Republican um, Republicans who are looking at this guy and saying, hey, maybe he's the Republican who can continue the sort of ideas that Trump promoted without the sort of crazier stuff that Trump was all about. I got it. Go ahead, Wendy. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Then there's just the whole slew of names that we've seen before. Mike Pompeo, Mike Pence, Nikki Haley. Um, There was some talk of Lynn Cheney running as an independent, but I don't think she's going to do that. She just doesn't have a constituency right now. Mm. I got to talk about this stock market day because just, I mean, the worst year since the financial crisis ending the day here, the S&P falling almost 20% throughout 2022. I mean, we're still seeing these signs of inflation. Wage growth is not keeping pace with inflation at all. We're getting these rate, rate hikes. But if inflation didn't win Republicans the midterms, does that mean it won't win them the presidential? I think we're probably still a little too early to determine that. But yeah. if inflation, if if inflation could be the only issue, if the economy could be the only issue that Republicans were campaigning on, then yes, I think they would win. Polls have shown for decades that American voters actually trust Republicans more on economic issues than they do Democrats, and so they could win on that. Where they where they had a misstep in 2022 in the midterms was. As I said earlier, the sort of the the Trump factor, Mm -hmm. the election deniers, the people were surprisingly to me very intensely opposed to the election deniers and people who wanted to relitigate 2020 again. So if the Republican Party can focus on the economy, on those sort of things, and of course, if the economy is still in the straits you just mentioned and laid out so smartly, then I think, you know, that that could spell good news for the Republicans. And like you said, Republicans have historically won on the economy. I wonder if you've seen any policy positions from Democrats in your tenure that have resonated with voters on economy. Is there anything that you've seen Democrats do previously that could get them voters who are, you know, thinking about inflation as their number one issue? Well, you know, in just this, in the current administration, the Biden administration's American Rescue Plan, which was a tremendous spending bill that um, helped get the economy off the pandemic lockdown, and what they're calling the Inflation Reduction Act, um, are very popular with voters, and so was the infrastructure bill. The trouble is some of the net effects of those are higher prices um, at the market. So, you know, people like the spending. They don't like what happens after the spending. So then some of that, of course, goes to the Fed to fix.
Right, right. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, we talk about the Fed minutes all the time, but you know, when the price of eggs is too high, that's that's what voters are really thinking about, myself included. In that, uh, I want to listen into what President Biden said about the midterms, and then get your take on what that mean for might might mean for him come 2024. While the press and the pundits are predicting a giant red wave, uh, it didn't happen. And he also mentioned there that he felt confident heading into the midterms, even as, you know, people were doubting whether or not the Republicans were going to have this big red wave. Do you anticipate that President Biden is going to have that same level of confidence heading into the 2024 election as the Democratic candidate? I really do. I think Joe Biden is the kind of man who just is very confident. I actually think anyone who runs and becomes the president has to be confident because mm. how else can you handle a job like right, that? Right. But um but he is very sure of himself. He he believes he beat Trump once, he could beat him again, he could beat, you know, anyone else. Um and he believes that, you know, if he just keeps promoting these policies and as I said, some of that legislation I mentioned was very popular he can indeed win. We'll just have to see, as we've talked about, what other factors are in play. Yeah, and some of those other factors, of course, as you were mentioning, Wendy, it's it's the legislation happening in Congress. Uh, we had a really effective Congress over the past two years getting a lot of work done. I wonder if you can give me some context on what happens to Congress right before a presidential election. Do we historically always see key issues becoming sort of a political football that can be used heading into the next election? Or do we ever see, you know, some good movement on on legislation heading into the presidential? I think it really depends what the partisan makeup is of the Congress. Um, And I don't think before the presidential election, you're going to see um, a lot of compromise or movement because the election is coming up and because you have a Republican House and a Democratic Senate. They're just going to be pushing each other to stop the worst instincts on either side. Also, I should, going back to Joe Biden for a minute, one thing I should mention is Joe Biden's age. He will be 82 mm-hmm. in 2024, and that would mean he would be 86 by the time his second term was over. That is by far the oldest president. He would be the oldest president in American history. And I'm not an insurance agent, but I think the actuarial table show that's a pretty that's a pretty advanced age for a president. Yeah. And I think voters, despite the economy and all the things we've been talking about, may also want to take a look at that. May yeah. also take a look at that. Every day he does break the record for oldest president in the United <laughs> States. <laughs> Uh, I wonder, Wendy, if you can give me a look ahead to Congress next session. What are going to be the most pressing issues uh, when we, we we see Congress get back to work next week? Well, I think um, I think first you're going to see the House Republicans start on a bit of a revenge uh, revenge tour. They want to investigate Hunter Biden. They want to investigate Afghanistan. They want to investigate um, uh, the immigration problems. Uh, There may be some legislation on immigration, but as I said, whether they can compromise and find something um, will be is very uncertain right now. But I think at first we're going to see the launching of a number of investigations, which will stymie. Um, any of the issues. I do think, though, they want to um, aid Ukraine is going to be mm. a big continuing issue. There are some on the right flank of the Republican Party who would say it's time to cut Volodymyr Zelensky off. Um, 
and stop spending all this money that should be staying here at home. But, you know, over the Christmas break, he came to Washington, he gave this impassioned speech, and I think he won over a lot of hearts and minds. And Biden is um, is intensely supportive of yep. Ukraine. Yep. And we're going to be hearing a little bit more from that Zelensky speech later in our show. Wendy, thank you so much for joining. Please uh, don't work for the rest of the night and the rest of the year. Thank you so much. Really appreciate your insights always. Let's head over to our panel for some more insight on everything we just talked about. We've got Lester Munson, principal at government relations firm BGR Group and former staff director of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. And we've got Lincoln Mitchell, political analyst and lecturer at the School of International and Public Affairs at Columbia University. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. I want to pick up on one thing that uh, Wendy just mentioned was investigations. Ahead of the red wave, there was a lot of talk about an impeachment of Biden. Lester, I wonder if you can give me some insight on whether or not you think that's going to continue to get pursued as we head into 2023. I don't think so. Uh, There's definitely going to be a, a caucus on the far right or in kind of the populist wing, however you want to characterize it, among House Republicans that's going to want to do that. If Kevin McCarthy is smart he's gonna he's gonna keep that in the background as much as possible that's just not a not a not even a starter with most american voters i think it'd be a huge mistake yeah it feels like the type of thing that has definitely gotten pushed to the back burner of folks mind particularly as we face this immigration question and of course uh inflation as we've been talking about um i want to go to you here lincoln because i was covering the desantis campaign in florida and of course he did really well flipping Democratic strongholds like Miami, but I just didn't see anywhere near Trump-level turnout to those DeSantis rallies. I wonder if that matters heading into 2024. Do you think that makes an impact? And and how are you thinking about, you know, the Republicans heading into the presidential? Well, Ron DeSantis has gotten an extraordinary amount of good press after basically winning essentially a red state in a Republican year. I was much more impressed on the Republican side by by Mike DeWine's win in Ohio, oh, uh, which was a big win. Tell me more but, about that. But, yeah. Well, you know, well, 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 if the the kind of Republican punditry has decided that Ron DeSantis is the guy to beat Trump. Mm-hmm. But the, the important thing to understand is that there's no such thing as the Republicans. There's not 10 elder Republicans in a room deciding here's the guy. And as Trump looks more vulnerable, there's going to be a whole raft of Republican politicians who think this is my year. And DeSantis is going to have a hard time wading wading through all of that to get to Donald Trump. I'm a little bit here reminded of Al Gore in 1988, and I apologize for being old and talking about what sounds like ancient history. (laughs) Please don't apologize. (laughs) In in the run up to 1988, it was decided after Mondale lost badly to Reagan in 1984 that the... uh, Democrats needed to turn back towards the center, stop nominating these North, northern and northeastern liberals who couldn't win. And Gore was this good-looking southern, <laughs> at that time kind of moderate Democrat. He, he looked like Superman almost. And the consultants were so excited. And DeSantis has some of that vibe too. And then what happened to Al Gore is exactly what you suggested with DeSantis. He got in front of voters. Mm-hmm. And through his, you know, he was a major public figure for the next 12 years, and he never connected with voters. He never brought excitement to the table. Mm. And I think that this DeSantis's problem, too. And if you go back to DeSantis's victory speech, woke Florida is where wokeism goes to die. That's a great slogan in a Republican primary in a red state. Yeah. It's not going to move voters in the middle. It's, so I think yeah. this kind of this is DeSantis's to lose. I don't buy that at all. 
I, I just think you bring up such excellent points. One thing that I also noticed that you reminded me of while you were speaking was just DeSantis not necessarily shaking hands with folks. Uh, his team is a little bit more hesitant to even share information about where his rallies are going to be. So sometimes it's just hard for voters to know where to go if they even you know were really excited and wanted to attend these rallies. So uh, I would love to talk to you more about that. And I hope that we continue to report on that kind of uh, beer test factor heading into 2024. Uh, We're going to come back to you, Lester, and you, Lincoln, as well throughout our show to get more of your insights on 2024 um, and what we can expect and how we can make sure we read Congress smarter heading into this next session here. We're going to be back with more soon. This is Bloomberg. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash Enterprise Data to learn more. This is Bloomberg Sound On on Bloomberg Radio. I'm Madison Mills in for Joe Matthew. You should never expect a slow news day heading into the end of the year. That's what I did. And of course, today we got the long-awaited tax returns from former President Trump. Big news there. Joining me to discuss is Bloomberg's Laura Davison, who our producer correctly described as the best tax reporter in the country. I could not agree more on that. Laura, we are lucky to have you to discuss this with us. My big question is, is Trump's tax payment or or lack thereof, that doesn't really feel like big news to me. The news might be on the IRS side. What is your reading on on the biggest takeaway from these documents? Yeah, from these documents, it's really difficult to say if Trump did anything wrong. Um, These were returns that were filled out. A lot of these Um, All of these deductions he's claimed are all legal deductions, part of the tax code. And it's not uh, clear that anyone can say just from this information that uh, there was any um, wrongdoing, anything that was against the tax laws here. The person or the group who could tell that is the Internal Revenue Service, the IRS. Those auditors are able to go out and get additional information to substantiate those claims and see if Trump, uh, you know, if all the numbers add up. Of course, the big story here, as you alluded to, is that the Trump is that the IRS didn't do that. They didn't audit Trump while he was in office. It's their policy to do so, and they didn't. 
Um, and so this really raises a lot of questions, uh, both about the IRS, what's happening, if there was any pressure, as well as, um, you know, is there the potential that now that all of this has come out, the IRS could pull some of Trump's um, tax returns for audit and there could be some wrongdoing. I love the way you phrase your headline coverage of this uh, sketchy deductions among red flags in Trump taxes. It feels very similar to a lot of my friends and I's group chats about about each other. Um, can you walk me through some of the biggest red flags that you found from these tax returns that might not be making the headlines? I mean, there was so much to read through. What what stood out to you that interested you but isn't necessarily the biggest headline news? Yeah, so the, uh, there's a group of tax experts within Congress. It's a nonpartisan group called the Joint Committee on Taxation. They put out a whole report. Uh, they got to review the returns and, and basically flag all the things that they said, uh, you know, if the IRS were to do an audit, these would be the triggers that they would uh, should look for. So, you know, this really ranges from a whole uh, slew of things of just some really big deductions that don't appear to be justified, as well as some other payments to Ivanka and other Trump children that are classified as loans, but look like they may actually be gifts, which would need, uh, which Trump would need to pay taxes on. You know, other things as well, you know, um, is parts of his business, um, there was an aviation deduction uh, for private jets that was um, highly questionable, as well as um, a deduction for um, the now defunct Trump University. So a lot that's laid out there. You know, some of these uh, very well could be perfectly, uh, you know, reasonable and backed up in an audit. But these, you know, there were dozens of things that these nonpartisan um, actors found that could be problematic. It's it's so interesting. And because you are such a tax ex- expert, I have to wonder about the IRS here. Uh, one thing that Jeannie Shanzano, our contributor on the politics side, told us earlier today during Balance of Power was that sometimes it's what's legal is what's the most stunning. What does this change for the IRS, if anything? So there's not a lot that the IRS can do about the tax laws themselves. And the IRS is there to enforce the tax laws. Um, you know, they, this will probably will be a wake-up call for their own internal auditing to make sure that they're doing what they said that they would be doing in terms of auditing whoever is in the White House. Uh, but this is also, you know, sort of a, uh, you know, Democrats at least have pointed, this is, this is a wake-up call to change uh, the tax code, that there are, um, you know, deductions and credits and tax breaks that are available only to the very wealthy and not to the average taxpayer. You know, Democrats have been pounding on this uh, for years. Um, they didn't really get to do anything with this. They didn't have the votes in Congress when they had both um, the House and the Senate because of, you know, some moderates who didn't want to vote for some of these tax increases. Uh, so it's really unclear kind of what the long-term prospects and long-term action might be from this. Well, we are going to get to exactly that and go to my conversation with Representative Don Beyer from earlier today. Laura, thank you so much. I asked Representative Beyer about how Trump's tax returns could impact any potential policy changes. For someone who's president of the United States, a legislation that we passed in the House last week uh, would, would mandate an IRS audit by law for every president every year. And, and I know many states have required them presidents to release the tax return just to be a candidate on the ballot. But the bigger picture is not just people who are president of the United States, but people who uh, are cheating on their taxes or way underpaying. And for that, you just need a more robust IRS. It's been starved for the last 10 years. We saw even when they did go to, to audit Donald Trump's third tax return, they only put one agent on it because they had so few resources. Shifting from policy to politics a little bit here, there's some concern about Republicans using this same tactic of auditing towards Democrats and this kind of kicking off a tit-for-tat battle of tax returns for elected officials. What do you think about that? I I think it's very unlikely. Um, First of all, I I think better of my Republican friends. Uh, 
but also, you know, this this was specifically it's only been used twice um, and specifically for the president of the United States. So I don't think they're going to come after you or me. Um, they would have to be you know, would they want to come after Joe Biden? Fine. But Joe Biden releases his tax returns in full every year anyway. So it's, it's going to be difficult to weaponize something. You realize that we only sought to prove that there is a seek whether the the IRS was performing its mandatory audit function. Um, it's only mandated for the president of the United States. And this was a president, the first one since Nixon, who didn't return his, re- release his returns voluntarily. So it's a very unique situation. I want to pick up on something you mentioned, thinking better of your Republican colleagues. I wonder if you have a sense that the GOP is committed to kind of moving on from the Trumpification of the Republican Party. Where do you think uh, Republicans in Congress stand heading into 2023 regarding just kind of moving past that era? Madison, that's the $64,000 question. You know, it's very divided right now. My, my my intuitive sense is that many, many, many would love to move on from Trump you know, to a new era that wasn't dominated by, by all of his antics, um, even if they liked some of his policies. Um, but that's an un, unknown. We will see Tuesday when they try to elect a speaker, um, which, which could be a very messy day or days or weeks. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a party right now that um, has two main um, d- directions, dominations, themes that are in conflict with one another. And I don't know who's going to win. Heading into the next Congress, do you think that there's going to be a focus on 2024 more than legislative accomplishments? Or do you think that you're all going to try to get some good things done? No, I think it would be much more on legislative accomplishments. You know, we haven't elected a House member president since the early 19th century. So <laughs> we're not going to be very engaged in that. Um, the senators and governors will fight about who gets to run against Joe Biden in 2024. Um, but, you know, we're not going to be doing things that, you know, are, um, you know, landmark, you know, breakthrough, exciting in either party because of the split government. So we'll have to do a lot of things in the middle, which will move us slowly in the right direction. I, I'm optimistic about the next two years. Speaking of the next two years, break some news for us here. Who are you putting your weight behind heading into 2024? Is Biden the candidate? Well, if, if the president runs, I'm wholly with him. He certainly has a great record to run on. And, you know, the concern at 80, of course, is always going to be health. But um, I watched him shake hands for and take photographs for three and a half straight hours at the White House Congressional Christmas Party. And he and Jill both looked fit and happy. So I want them to stay that way. Okay. well, speaking of parties, 80 isn't what it used to be. Yeah. Well, I I feel like you are an amazing example of that because at your very young age, you are pursuing a degree in AI heading back to college. I wonder if you can talk to me about uh, any resolutions that you have heading into 2023, whether that's on continuing your education or anything else. Well, my biggest resolution is to keep trying to build people's excitement about fusion energy and the energy of the sun. Which we know about, but we've you know we had a breakthrough at Lawrence Livermore Labs two weeks ago. If we can make fusion energy happen in the next eight or ten years, it changes um, the world economy. It changes climate change. It changes poverty. And one of the hopes is to use artificial intelligence as a way to to manage the successes that come from from the development of human made fusion. I got to ask you about George Santos. Should he be seated? Should he get committee assignments? 
Oh, I, I don't have a strong opinion. My sense is that it, in, until it's shown that he's broken some laws, he should be seated. We've had plenty of um, frauds and crooksters and all that seated before. He, he did um, win the, the election. Uh, I, I find it impossible to imagine him winning again. I think he's already said he's not going to run again. And, you know, if the prosecutors come up with actual criminal charges, he'll be out of there very quickly. Representative Byer, I can't thank you enough for this conversation. I learned a lot and it was really great speaking with you. Have an amazing new year and thank you so much for joining us. That was Representative Don Byer talking to me about all things Trump, taxes, 2023 and 2024. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On on Bloomberg Radio. I'm Madison Mills in for Joe Matthew for our last episode of Sound On in 2022. It was a big, big year of news. We had constant rate hikes from the Fed, persistent inflation, of course, geopolitical tensions, a lot to parse through. But we were here with you every step of the way, and we're going to bring you into 2023. Let's get a gut check from our panel on where the news is headed in Washington. We've got Lester Munson, principal at government relations firm BGR Group and former staff director of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. We've also got Lincoln Mitchell. He's a political analyst and lecturer at the School of International and Public Affairs at Columbia University. Thank you both for sticking with us here. Lester, I want to start with you. What, in your mind, was the defining story from 2022? Oh, I think it's got to be the Russian invasion of Ukraine and really uh, the way the Ukrainians responded to uh, to that invasion, essentially, uh, prevailing for the most part on the battlefield and really showing, you know, a level of fight that that absolutely no one expected. Uh, really, that's I, I think that is a, that's a turning point uh, on in terms of of world affairs and really cannot be underestimated. Lincoln, give us your you know history expertise here. When you are looking at and trying to parse through the news coming out of Ukraine. How are you reading it as we wrap up the year? And what are you thinking about heading into 2023? In many ways that are obvious, in many ways that are not so obvious, right? We've seen a return of a liberal democratic Western bloc led by a, at least for now, functioning United States of America, which on January 1st of this year, we wouldn't necessarily have expected. And we have seen the uh, destruction of the Russian military that even the most optimistic pro-Ukraine person couldn't have imagined. And because of that, Russia, you know, there's a lot of media coverage of a of a Sino-Russian alliance, but that's a mischaracterization. Russia has become a client of China, and that's an extraordinary development. Uh, and that's largely because the sanctions have left them very few other places to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the bigger, the macro piece here that I think we can't ignore is that over the last, is that this year in the bigger picture, in the global picture, particularly because of this war in Ukraine, has in many respects been a very good year for the United States. Hmm. We have returned, at least for now, to a position of global leadership. This sanctions regime against Russia, this support for Ukraine is not possible without leadership of the United States. And American foreign policy people like to say that all the time. In this case, it's true. Um, And that's particularly due to Joe Biden. And at the end of the year, Russia is suffering a military defeat, facing potential instability because Vladimir Putin, the Russian leader, has been humiliated. China is beginning to confront a disastrous COVID policy, and we don't know how bad that will be. But if you're uh, Xi Jinping right now, you've got to be very worried. And meanwhile, the United States, for the first time in a long time, seems to have pushed back 
against a kind of frightening tide of authoritarianism mm. and has passed really meaningful legislation on key issues like mm. the infrastructure and the environment. Right. I usually don't come on the radio for my optimism, but it's been a good year for the U.S. <laughs> well, I, I, I love the optimism, especially on this last day of our program here. I'm feeling really optimistic as well, so I, I appreciate it. But I've got to ask uh, you, Lester, about some of that optimism. Do you think that given, you know, Congress had this really effective past two years, as Lincoln was saying, are we going to see more of that in the next session? Or is this going to be a return to politics over policy as we head closer to 2024? Well, I, to start, I think we can say expectations are pretty low for Congress going into next year. Uh, and that, that can be to Congress's advantage. I think if Kevin McCarthy even gets elected as speaker, people are going to be impressed by that that political feat. So his, his, uh, he's done a good job of lowering expectations. That's always a good political move. And let me, let me just real quick uh, and kind of pivot off what Lincoln said and give a shout out to Nancy Pelosi. Mm. Yes, Biden deserves credit for managing the war in Ukraine, but it was Nancy Pelosi, and I say this as a Republican, who stiffened the spine of the administration on tougher sanctions on Russia and more aid to the Ukrainians. She came out right out of the gate and said we're gonna we're gonna do whatever we can for the ukrainians and we're gonna stop importing russian oil she was the one who really pushed the white house into uh into the the good position that it's in right now so let's give on her way out the door let's give a lot of credit to speaker nancy pelosi I am amazed by by that comment coming from you there. That's that's so interesting. Lincoln, I wonder if you can jump in. What do you think we're losing as we see Nancy Pelosi stepping down? Well, I'm actually in Nancy Pelosi's district right now. Um, and I, I grew up in San Francisco. Nancy Pelosi is my second my second favorite 82 year old woman in San Francisco. My first favorite <laughs> is my mother. Um, she's been an extraordinary speaker, historic speaker. This is and and. Uh, Lester's right about her stiffening the spine of the Biden administration. But Nancy Pelosi was also the one who went to Barack Obama in uh, 2009 and 10 and said, don't listen to Rahm Emanuel. Don't walk away from Obamacare. And that was an extraordinarily important piece of domestic legislation. As a legislative leader, we kind of, particularly on the Democratic side, we often just take it for granted that, for example, the caucus stayed almost entirely unified through the uh through the Trump administration against Trump and in support of the Biden administration. And we may be losing that. I think Hakeem Jeffries will be fine. And I think the way Nancy Pelosi has handled this was very good. Leaving now, being around for two years as a speaker emeritus, where Hakeem Jeffries can have kind of get his his sea legs as a potential future speaker at a time when I think we would all agree the Republican caucus may be in a bit of a, a chaotic feel right now. So it's not the most difficult time to be a Democratic leader. Mm. But Nancy Pelosi will go down in history as one of the most um, important legislative leaders in the history of the United States. And it's extraordinary. And uh, I wish her happy retirement. And I want to say that I wish her husband a, a healthy recovery. The attack yeah. on Nancy Pelosi, a 15 minute walk from where I'm sitting now, yeah. uh, was really a, a real low point for the United States and a real low point for for 2022. And I hope we don't have any more violence of that on either side of uh, from either uh, direction. In, yeah. in the future. This is not uh, what's going to help the United States of America. It's really terrible. I'm glad that you bring that up because political violence and violence, you know, at the polls, that's something I covered in the midterms really closely. I wonder to what extent we might need to gear up for more of that heading into 2023 and certainly 2024. Lester, is that something that's heavily on your radar? Uh, my gosh, I hope we, we don't have to worry about that next year. Uh, what a you know, uh, we, we've got to move on. I, I'm I'm a little skeptical that this is, uh, you know, the the 
the fault of one party or the other so much as it is uh, really a national problem for Americans. We did not, maybe we didn't handle the pandemic the right way. Maybe we need to relearn some lessons about the things we have in common as much as we've been focusing on our differences. But the one thing everyone should agree on about leaving behind is any kind of support for political violence. It's just, it's a terrible thing. Absolutely. And it's something that we are going to continue to cover if it does continue heading into the years to come. Uh, It's something that I saw when covering the midterms, and it is definitely a dark spot on 2022. But I like the way that you guys are thinking, some optimism heading into this next session. We're going to continue to cover that more when we get back on Sound On. This is Bloomberg. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. This is Bloomberg Sound On on Bloomberg Radio. Bloomberg Sound On brought to you by Innovation Refund. Small businesses impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic may qualify for the employee retention credit. Let Innovation Refunds do the work to find out now if your organization qualifies for ERC assistance. They've already helped businesses claim over $2 billion in payroll tax refunds. Learn more at GetRefunds.com. I'm Madison Mills in for Joe Matthew on Sound On. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, anywhere else you get your pods. Today, we're looking at the big stories of the year. We had some dark moments, but of course, some beautiful ones. We're going to go to our panel to talk about some of the good news from 2022. Guys, I got to say, for me, covering the overturning of Roe v. Wade was a big moment because I got the opportunity to talk to a lot of activists who were working to keep uh, women and folks healthy across the U.S. and seeing their work was very powerful. Uh, Lincoln, give me your 32nd rose of 2022. What was some good news for you? The best news for me was the high turnout of Generation Z in uh, the midterm election. Mm. And so many of us older pundits 
Oh, we always hear so much. Are the young people going to vote? And we saw that they came out. They came out in big numbers. And it turns out that this generation doesn't like being told what to do with their bodies, <laughs> and they don't really like doing school shooter drills. And they voted that way. Generation Z helped save American democracy. I have two sons in that category, and I'm very proud of them and that whole generation. That generation is really, really special to watch. And I should mention, uh, we just heard from Lincoln Mitchell, political analyst and lecturer at the School of International and Public Affairs at Columbia. And I'm about to talk with Lester Munson. He's principal at government relations firm BGR Group and former staff director of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Same question for you, Lester. What's the big bright spot you're taking away from 2022? Uh, well, as, an, as kind of a traditional Republican, uh, my big bright spot was the fact that these populist candidates, these Trump-linked candidates, did so poorly in the election in, in November mm. for the Republicans that I think the party has a good chance to kind of pivot away from hmm. the recent insanity and move back towards something more sensible. Mm. I'm hopeful on that. And then I'll also throw in the emergence of a real quarterback for the Chicago Bears, <laughs> Justin Fields. All right. All right. God. All right. I'm going to I'm going to cut you off on that one because I cannot talk about sports. Our producer, Justin Milliner, put together a great montage of the big stories from 2022. Let's take a listen. The latest developments out of Ukraine. Russian forces have attacked targets across the country. We still have some ways to go. And incoming data since our last meeting suggests that the ultimate level of interest rates will be higher than previously expected. The Supreme Court has overturned Roe versus Wade. They're standing on the side of women to defend their freedoms and to uphold this truth. My nominee for the United States Supreme Court is Judge Ketanji Jackson. Someone extremely qualified. I have a seat at the table now. I'm here to ask you to vote. I thought I did some grocery shopping. I'm at Wegner's and uh, my wife wants some vegetables for crudite, right? So in the Mon Valley, we make steel. In New Jersey, in New Jersey, Dr. Oz makes crudite. Let me tell you something that I found out. A werewolf can kill a vampire. Do you know that? I never do this. I don't want to be a vampire anymore. I want to be a werewolf. While the press and the pundits are predicting a giant red wave, uh, it didn't happen. And with great confidence in our caucus, I will not seek re-election to Democratic leadership in the next Congress. Is it doggy coin or doji coin? Doge. Doge coin. This struggle will define in what world our children and grandchildren will live and then they are children and grandchildren. Scientists at the National Ignition Facility achieved fusion ignition. It's the first time it has ever been done in a laboratory, anywhere. That beautiful montage of all the news from 2022. Thank you for getting your news from Bloomberg this year. Your host, Joe Matthew, is going to be back with you next week, but I really enjoyed closing out the year with you. I want to thank the Sound On team, Justin, Matt, Sebastian, and Christine, and all the other folks who make this show happen. Have a happy new year, everyone. Thanks for listening. I'm Madison Mills. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, 
influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.